Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Now, remember I said earlier that Gerald ran this entire exchange from his laptop? One of the most interesting facts about this company was that the entire business was operated out of his MacBook Pro. It wasn't so much a business as it was Cotton just manning the entire show from his MacBook. When Quadriga CEO Gerald Cotton's death was announced in 2019, his customers were shocked to learn that the $215 million they thought was in their accounts had disappeared. But almost as surprising was the fact that until his death, Jerry had been running the exchange mostly by himself. He'd been doing it that way since 2016, when he had a fight with Quadriga's co-founder, Michael Patrick, over a failed attempt to go public. Mike quit, and so did everyone else. And suddenly, Jerry was the only one left. There was no more office in Vancouver, and no other full-time employees. But Jerry didn't sweat it. Instead of renting a new office, he fired up his MacBook Pro, set up shop in his living room. And instead of a new staff, he hired a small team of freelance contractors, most of whom he'd never met in person, to do things like customer service and social media. They all worked remotely. And for the next three years, Quadriga, which processed many millions of dollars in transactions per year, was run mainly by one guy. But as I told you in the last episode, Jerry wasn't your average guy. He was a veteran scam artist. He'd been running internet Ponzi schemes and defrauding people since he was a teenager. So in this episode, we're gonna find out what happened behind the scenes when a serial con man had sole control of Canada's biggest Bitcoin exchange. I'm Aaron Lammer. Welcome to Exit Scam, a podcast about a mysterious death and a missing fortune. This is part four, the Chris Marquet account. Now, the CEO of one of Canada's biggest cryptocurrency exchanges died while he was on a trip to India. Neighbors on the Kelowna Street where Gerald Cotton owned a home are also stunned. He was the CEO of Cardriga CX. When Quadriga suddenly became a one-man band, most of its customers didn't notice any difference. There was no formal announcement that Mike had left the company, and the exchange seemed to run like normal. You could buy and sell Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, same as always. But for Jerry himself, things were changing fast. 
He bought a house and moved in with his future wife, Jennifer Robertson, who he'd been dating for about two years. Their new home was in a suburb of Halifax called Fall River, and their next-door neighbors were Jen's mother and stepfather. But then Jerry bought a second house, and a third one, and then more than a dozen other houses all across Canada. There was a McMansion in Kelowna, a block of nine row houses in Bedford, 18 acres of undeveloped waterfront property on Kinsack Lake. Jerry even bought his own private island. Yes, a literal island. And you'll never guess who sold it to him. Tucker Carlson from Fox News was a small virgin piece of land in Mahone Bay, an hour from the Fall River House. Jerry had the trees cut down and built a mansion on it, plus a dock. All in all, he spent over $12 million on real estate, most of it through a shell company registered in Jen's name, Robertson Nova Property Management. But his spending didn't end there. Jerry also bought a Tesla, and a Cessna 400 airplane, and a 50-foot yacht he named the Gulliver. When he bought the boat, he asked the salesman to add an extra gas tank so he could sail to the Caribbean without refueling. And remember how I told you in the last episode that Jerry liked to travel? Well, now that he could run Quadriga from anywhere with a Wi-Fi connection, his trips became more frequent and more expensive. Jerry and Jen visited at least 37 countries together. Between 2016 and 2018, they took vacations as often as twice a month, sometimes on a private jet. They went places like Singapore, Estonia, Machu Picchu, Dubai, Myanmar, and the Maldives. After they got married in 2018, they flew both of their families to Scotland to celebrate. But it's possible these trips could have been more than just ordinary vacations. Because Jerry traveled with a lot of cash. According to a friend who knew him around this time, Jerry was known to walk through airports carrying $50,000 or more. He could do this because it's a lot easier to pass customs when you fly private. But why would a guy with a credit card need to carry around $50,000? You have to wonder if all this travel was for fun or an excuse to stash a bunch of cash around the world. While Jerry was blowing money on travel and houses, Inside Quadriga, things were starting to unravel. First, there was the software glitch. One of Quadriga's freelance contractors was an old friend of Jerry's named Alexander Hainan. Jerry and Alex went back at least 10 years to when Jerry was running his teenage Ponzi schemes. Jerry hired Alex, who lives in the UK, to be Quadriga's lead and only software developer. This made Alex pretty important at the exchange. Jerry used to say he paid him well because Alex was the only person who could steal from him. So I actually first started interacting with Alex at Quadriga probably in like 2016. This is Taylor Monahan. She's a pretty well-known developer behind a popular cryptocurrency wallet called MyCrypto. It's for holding Ethereum which is the second biggest cryptocurrency behind Bitcoin. We were both part of a Skype group where it was basically like everyone who ran 
uh, core Ethereum infrastructure. Did you know at that point who Alex was, what he was working on? So I did know that his name was Alex Hannon because that was what showed up on Skype. And so I actually like Googled him and was like, who are you? Uh, and that's when I found out that he worked for, for Quadriga. As someone who's a coder, uh, you looked at code that Alex Hainan presented used on Quadriga. What did you think of it? I remember looking at these code snippets like this is something that I would hack together to like try to change the button color to be blue instead of purple. It just felt like very kind of hacky and quickly put together. And then I remember laughing and being like, holy crap, this is not code that changes a button color. This is code that perhaps like controls boatloads of money. One day in the spring of 2017, Alex showed up in the Skype group in a panic. Some code he'd written accidentally had sent customer funds to the address of a crypto wallet that didn't exist. We realized the money was gone pretty much immediately from the code that's on the blockchain. It it was like immediately obvious that there wasn't a way to get the money out. By the time Quadriga could fix the bug, $18 million in customer Ethereum had been vaporized. It was gone forever. They made this announcement on Reddit that we have inadvertently uh, locked up a number, a large number of or quadrica deposits, and that they're going to be covering, you know, any of those funds that were like locked up. They'd be covering it. Nobody needed to worry about anything, and that they were just making a public statement, like uh, letting people know, etc. Jerry said in a statement that the loss would have no impact on Quadriga's customer accounts. He would take it out of the exchange's profits. You'd think that losing $18 million in the blink of an eye would slow Jerry down, but it didn't. A couple of weeks later, he spent $600,000 on his yacht. But soon, Quadriga had another setback. One of the hard parts of running a Bitcoin exchange is finding a bank to process customer deposits of Canadian dollars. Most banks won't work with Bitcoin exchanges because there's still a regulatory gray area. So Quadriga had to use third-party payment processors. These were middlemen who would open bank accounts and accept deposits on the exchange's behalf. This was sketchy, but Jerry didn't really have a choice. And before long, it blew up in his face. In late 2017, just as Bitcoin hit an all-time high, one of the banks that was unknowingly handling Quadriga's money realized what was going on and froze its accounts and the $26 million in them. The bank asked Jerry for a phone call to sort things out. Jerry told them he would only answer questions over email. But when the bank emailed him, he never replied. So Quadriga's $26 million stayed locked up for most of 2018. Quadriga's banking problems meant Jerry had to find creative ways to move his customers' money. He made a deal with a Bitcoin ATM company. He would send the company Bitcoin, and the company's president would show up at his house with suitcases full of cash. Then Jerry would use that cash to pay out withdrawals. He'd take a stack of bills, put it in an envelope, and mail it to you. Jerry funded $14 million in withdrawals this way. 
the, the email said, okay, your cash, you know, transaction has been approved. You know, you should see the cash in five to seven days. This is one of the customers who used Quadriga's cash withdrawal option. He didn't want us to use his name. And uh, literally five days later, I opened my mailbox and there's a nice yellow envelope there stacked and padded. It was like a little thick brick in my mailbox. <laughs> it can get pretty thick when you have $20,000 Canadian. There's no signature. Did you confirm in any way, hey, I got the $20,000? Well, that, that's the ironic part. It's funny you say that. So uh, the first thing I said to my wife was like, you know, not to be in a scammer thought, but I said, what if somebody were to say, hey, I didn't get this money. Send me another 20000 And then how would they even investigate that? What would they do? They didn't even ship it FedEx. They didn't DHL it. They didn't, you know, uh, send it even a signature Canada post. So that tells you enough about the site as, you know, after that, it was pretty much, okay, well, let's slow down here and re- reassess what's going on with this website. In the months after the software glitch and the bank freeze, Quadriga customers started complaining about slow withdrawals. They said it was taking longer and longer to get their money off the exchange. In an email to his customers, Jerry blamed the Canadian banking cartel, which he claimed was trying to stifle the adoption of Bitcoin. But around the industry, rumors swirled that Quadriga was broke. I'd heard some rumblings about its solvency at one point. That's Christy Harkin, a journalist from Toronto who covered Quadriga for Bitcoin magazine. I'd heard through a fairly reliable grapevine source that um, in, I think, oh, maybe as far back as April, June, before it shut down, that things were getting rocky. Can you, I can know you that elaborate a little bit, like Rocky, Rocky in what that's, way? Was, it was all sort of just vaguely, I don't know, I'd be pulling my money out of there if I were you, <laughs> kind of thing. That's ominous. Yeah. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hey i'm brett podolsky 
co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Whatever was really happening at Quadriga, not many people knew the details. Even the contractors Jerry worked with were in the dark. We know this because after Jerry's death, one of those contractors, a guy named Aaron Matthews, released his entire chat history with Jerry for the last four months of 2018. If Aaron's goal in making these chats public was to exonerate himself, and make it look like he didn't know anything about any shady business going on at the exchange, it worked. He seemed totally clueless. Aaron and Jerry talked almost every day. But even though Aaron lived just three hours from Jerry's house in a trailer in New Brunswick, they never met in person. Their whole relationship took place online. Aaron's job was answering customer complaints, hundreds of them a day and Jerry would tell him who he could send withdrawals to. Jerry gave priority to the customers who complained the most. But the ones who got the best service were the customers he knew personally. Jerry would let his friends trade on Quadriga without even making them verify their identities. And when they wanted to cash out, he let them skip the line. He would just tell Aaron to send them their money. While all of this was happening, Aaron and Jerry would make small talk. And from their chat logs, we learned a few new things about Jerry. For one, Jerry might have been rich, independent of Quadriga. He told Aaron that he made a very early investment in Ethereum. He bought it in the pre-sale, when you could get one Ethereum for 31 cents. Now, Jerry doesn't say how much he bought at that price, or how long he held on to it. But a $10,000 investment then would be worth over $400 million now. For all we know, Jerry might have had enough money to last 10 lifetimes, all hidden away somewhere. And if Jerry was holding a secret fortune in crypto, we know where he probably would have kept it. In a chat with Aaron, he mentioned that he stored valuables in a safe, a safe bolted to the rafters in his attic. Jerry said, it's super inconvenient to access, but if my house gets robbed, no one will find it. Aaron replied, ha, that's an awesome spot. But the biggest surprise in the chat logs was that in the fall of 2018, Jerry was already plotting his exit strategy. Even if he'd lived, he didn't plan to be running Quadriga for much longer. According to the chats, he was supposed to retire and turn his daily responsibilities over to Aaron. In November, Aaron said, T minus two months till you are practically retired. To which Jerry replied, Haha, <laughs> hopefully. But that's not how things worked out. On December 3rd, 2018, Jerry logged on and wrote to Aaron, Happy Monday. I've left and I'm on my honeymoon trip. I'm in India. This was six days before Jerry's alleged death. 
and Jerry typed the word honeymoon in quotes for some reason. Aaron was surprised. He had no idea Jerry was even traveling. He wrote back, Jesus, LOL, I never knew. Jerry said, I'm here for two weeks, then New Zealand and Australia. Jerry told Aaron he didn't really like India that much. He said it was polluted and smelled bad. He also wasn't too fond of the food. He said, I'm currently beside the river Ganges, which is a holy place. So they only serve vegetarian. Can't stand that part. Happy to be going to Jaipur on Saturday. Supposedly one of the main reasons Jerry and Jen chose India for their honeymoon was to visit the orphanage they paid to have built. But Jerry never mentioned any orphanage to Aaron. He did share some good news, though. The bank was finally unfreezing Quadriga's $26 million. Jerry said, The funds will be paid out this week. Everyone will be happy. Good timing, right before Christmas. Although better timing would have been nine months ago. LOL. This would be one of the last times Aaron and Jerry spoke. Eventually, Aaron heard from Alex Hainan that Jerry had come down with stomach problems and died in a Jaipur hospital. Aaron typed one last message to his boss's account. Jen, if you read this, my deepest condolences go to you. Jerry was the most pivotal person in my life. He's going to be greatly missed. I can't imagine what you are going through. In December 2018, Jerry died. But Quadriga customers didn't know that because it was kept a secret. Those customers could tell something was wrong, though, because it became impossible to withdraw money from the exchange. The timeline basically was, you know, early January, we got a tip that Jill Cotton had died. This is Nick D. He's a reporter who covered Quadriga for the crypto site Coindesk. And we tried to figure out, you know, if there was any legitimacy to this. I'd already at that point gotten a tip that, you know, Quadriga was in bigger trouble than anyone had thought or anyone knew. Nick had been covering Quadriga's banking troubles in late 2018 and even exchanged a few emails with Jerry. And then they announced, I think, um, that Mr. Cotton had apparently passed away. And we're like, oh, no, we have to kind of, you know, so this might be an actual thing now. Nick flew to Canada to be there for Quadriga's early court hearings. Some of the customers who lost money showed up at the courthouse, too. A lot of it was just anger, I think. You know, it was justifiable. We were talking about some folks who lost almost their life savings, folks who lost thousands of dollars. At this point, those customers still thought they might be getting their money back. People still had hope, but that was kind of, you know, getting very, very muddled. So then... Gerald Cotton's widow, Jennifer Robertson, announced that they were going to be filing for creditor protection. That was when we realized, okay, well, now we know for sure that there are going to be documents and they're going to be at the Nova Scotia Supreme Court, and we can probably hit them up and ask them, you know, what they've got. So we did that, and the court was kind enough to send us over the entire filing. And that's pretty much when we realized, like, okay, that's a lot of people, and that's a lot of money that's uh, missing now.
When the Nova Scotia Supreme Court approved Quadriga for creditor protection, they appointed an accounting firm, Ernst & Young, as an independent monitor to try to recover as much money as possible for Quadriga's customers. To keep everybody in the loop, Ernst & Young agreed to publish its findings in a series of monitors' reports. Ernst & Young would issue these reports, uh, monitor reports, reports of the monitor, that would give updates on what was happening with their, I don't want to say investigation, yeah, but, you know, their accounting. That's Amy Castor. She's the reporter we heard from last episode, who broke the story about Jerry's teenage Ponzi schemes. This was really hard for Ernst & Young to put it all together because from 2016 onwards, Gerald Cotton didn't keep any kind of books or anything like that. There were no accounting records. Amy followed the Ernst & Young inquiry closely, waiting for new monitors' reports to drop. What they did initially is they found out, for example, that there really was no money left in the cold wallets. The third monitors' report from March 2019 concluded that Quadriga didn't really have the $215 million in customer funds that it claimed to. The narrative was that Gerald Cotton passed away, and he was the only person that had the keys to the cryptocurrency that was kept in the cold wallet. So if the customer funds weren't in Quadriga's wallets, where were they? Ernst & Young followed the money. They used the blockchain to track Bitcoin transfers on and off Quadriga. They interviewed Jen and the freelance contractors. Aaron Matthews gave them his chat logs with Jerry, and Alex Hainan gave them access to Quadriga's backend. That meant Ernst & Young had a God's-eye view of all of Quadriga's customer accounts. Before this, Jerry was the only person who ever had that kind of access. And in June 2019, Ernst & Young released their fifth monitor's report. It was a blockbuster. The fifth report of the monitor was the doozy. Everybody was just kind of floored because we really started to see what was going on inside Quadriga. So what was going on inside Quadriga? The big reveal in the fifth monitor's report is about a user named Chris Marquet. Chris Marquet was one of the users who got special treatment by Jerry. He was a high roller, a whale. He was Quadriga's biggest trader. Between 2016 and 2018, he deposited hundreds of millions of dollars into Quadriga. At one point, his account had half a billion dollars in it. And he used his money to buy Bitcoin, tons of it, from other Quadriga customers. If you were selling Bitcoin on the exchange, chances are Chris Marquet was the one buying it. Seriously. He alone accounted for 35% of Quadriga's trading volume. But here's the problem. There was no Chris Marquet. He wasn't real. Chris Marquet was actually Jerry. It turns out Jerry wasn't just the owner of Quadriga. He was also a client. He created fake accounts and used them to trade with his own customers. Jerry's other puppet accounts included Jerry Scepter, R2D2, and C3PO. So Jerry used fake accounts under silly names. Why was that so bad? 
Well, Jerry wasn't just using fake names to buy Bitcoin. He was also using fake funds. None of Chris Marquez's deposits were real. Jerry just clicked into Quadriga's backend and added half a billion dollars to Chris Marquez's balance. He used that fake half billion dollars to trade real customers for their real Bitcoin. And then he transferred their Bitcoin to other exchanges where it was harder to trace. And then he traded with it. Jerry took risky positions with huge downsides. And according to Ernst & Young, Jerry's trades, quote, generated substantial losses. But Jerry didn't gamble away all of the embezzled money. Over three years, he cashed in 21,501 Bitcoin for 80 million Canadian dollars. We know he spent part of that on houses and travel, his plane and his yacht, but that doesn't account for all of it. Not even close. Ernst & Young wasn't able to find the rest. Maybe Jerry is spending it right now. Between all the money Jerry stole, plus the $18 million lost to the software glitch, and the $26 million frozen by the bank, the exchange had less than it needed to pay customer withdrawals. So when one customer wanted to take money out, Jerry had to wait for a different customer to put more money in. He was robbing Peter to pay Paul. So when he died, the $215 million that should have been in Quadriga's wallets wasn't there. To the outside world, Jerry seemed like a promising young entrepreneur who just wanted to make it easier for regular Canadians to invest in Bitcoin. But that was all a facade. Jerry was one of the biggest frauds in Canadian history. He used Quadriga as his personal piggy bank. And by the end of 2018, he had bled it nearly dry. Jerry ran Quadriga like one of his old Ponzi schemes. People sent him money, hoping for huge returns. He pocketed their money and hid the losses by paying older customers with deposits from newer ones. And when the new deposits dried up and the customers complained, he strung them along with excuses. And then he disappeared. On the next episode of Exit Scam. There's no doubt in my mind, as the available balance in the exchange is getting lower and lower to the point where it is now starting to be noticed, magically, he is out of the picture. And uh, like, if there was a, an opportune time to perform an exit scam, it was in December 2018. Just looking at the numbers, it, it's so coincidental that when the last bit of juice is squeezed out of the lemon and there's pretty much just a, a husk of what used to be left over. Suddenly, oh, he's gone. Yeah, there's also no more money to be stolen. What a coincidence. Exit Scam is an original production of Treats Media. You can listen to the next episode right now exclusively on the new Odyssey app. Odyssey has all the podcasts you crave, plus the music, news, and sports that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Download it for free today from the App Store or Google Play. 
Exit Scam was written and produced by me, Aaron Lammer, and Lane Brown. Mixing and additional editing by Martin D. Fowler. Show art and art direction by Mickey Duget. The theme song is by Francis and the Lights, and scoring from this episode was by Francis Starlight, Mark Allen Piccolo, Ross Simonini, Martin D. Fowler, and myself. Our executive producers are Max Linsky, Lane Brown, and myself for Treats Media. Additional sound editing and producing by James Nicholson. Additional producing by Jacqueline Scurry. Thank you to Jake Schreier, Patty Greco, Evan Ratliff, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Joel Lovell, Lizzie Denahan, J.D. Crowley, Ann Garrett, Jay Kang. See you next week.